what our topic will be. I feel like it's brewing. But. So this coffee's pretty good. Yeah. Hey, welcome to the episode this week. We are excited that you uh, have tuned in. We've had great response from many of you about our podcast and things that are going on. So much so that Travis and I are even exploring maybe some events that we can do surrounding coffee and even just getting to have some conversations. So hopefully in the next weeks, you'll be hearing us talk about that a little bit more um, as we're just trying to figure this piece out. But uh, we are drinking coffee and today is actually a Brazilian honey process and uh, it's pretty good, I think. Yeah, you know, when you were telling me about it, you said it had like fruity notes and I don't know if I'm picking that up. Maybe as a cup cools a little bit. Well, it's supposed to have like maybe like a, I think there's like a, like a oolong tea or there's a couple other notes like that in there too. But one of the notes was a red fruit, but I don't know if it's, if I get on the lighter side that presents itself more or probably I'm getting like a, like a maple syrupy kind of a, like a smooth, sweet kind of, you know, maybe I have COVID. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Been there, done that. Um, but it is good, but we, we've considered opening up, just some coffee time with uh, people, uh, you guys. So as we start getting more information about how we want to do that, we want you guys to stay tuned in to kind of see some things that are going on because we want you to be a part of this with us. We, we, I think for us, it's more fun when we can invite people in and instead of it just being us sitting and talking about <laughs> things in life and all the things. So we would rather do that together than do that um, just me and him. So well, and just have an opportunity for, you know, we do all sorts of things for kids and youth and you know, that's good and fine, but like let's do something fun for parents yeah. and grandparents. And it's just like, we're going to play barista and make drinks and you guys can just come like you're coming to a coffee shop and not pay for it. Yeah. So if you want to sponsor coffee hour, the best way that you can sponsor is find us a good espresso machine and then we could really play barista, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're, we're not, we're not that bad. Um, but we, unless you just want to, I mean, yeah, unless you guys just have like one sitting in a storage room somewhere and you're like, Oh, I forgot I had this, <laughs> you know, $10,000 espresso machine. <laughs> if, if that's you, please come talk to us because you, you obviously need us in your life. And so, um, we'll make you a lot we'll, every Sunday. We'll literally <laughs> just for your assistance on this. But, um, but I always thought that was interesting how much like coffee equipment is out there that's just sitting, not even being used, but people just have it. Um, like I, I know of a church in town and I'll, I'll, I'll leave them nameless. No, no, put them on blast. Let's, yeah, we'll let's, put them on let's blast. Pressure, though, pressure them to give yeah. it to us. And if that pastor who's a good friend of mine ever listens to this podcast, he's going to be like, are you kidding me? Um, but cause it's pretty hot. But I, I, every year around the first of the year I text them, uh, and I'm like, Hey, uh, I'm here for my annual report on the espresso machine sitting in your storage room. And they're like, I think it's still there. I'm like, okay, cool. Just a reminder, you know, let me know when <laughs> so, we can buy it. Let me know when, when it needs to be, when it's completely done and you're stubbed your toe on it for the 15th <laughs> time. And then I'll, I'll take it off your hand. Um, but it, it is fun how, I think that's the one thing about church too. Church is we tend to to get real involved in some things and then we're like, Oh yeah, I remember when we did, I remember when we did this or we did this and we were talking about in the choir the other day, I was in there giving the choir people a hard time. I uh, really get them stirred up so that Nathan could, could lead them to Jesus. And, uh, we were talking about how here at Calvary, they used to do those pageants. Like we're talking like where the animals come in. Page- yeah. Like they would rent a camel. Um, <laughs> I remember one story they said, I think it was they had to uh, get this camel out of the sanctuary pretty quick because he was getting ready to like drop a massive one, like right there in the middle of the performance. And they're like, no. Um, but I, I've done the pageants before. The I, worked, I worked at this little bitty church in Missouri while I was in college. And it was the coolest church. Um, they were kind of like, I would almost call them like a biker church. Like, half of them rode up on motorcycles every Sunday. Like, they even told me, like, the pastor had an old motorcycle. He's like, okay, I'm going to give this motorcycle to you. You're going to go get your motorcycle license, and you're going to go on rides with us. And it's going to be like, it's like, all right, sweet, let's do it, you know. And uh, it ended up not working out. Um, But it was really interesting because they did pageants. And it was a big deal. They would do, like, three or four of these things. 
the church could only seat like 120 people. They would sell this stuff out. They would bring in the live animals. In fact, I think it was the guys all shaved their beards off after pageant season. And then in the fall, they all started growing their beards back out. Like all of them. And I was like, just so they looked the part of, yeah. So they had authentic beards coming into (laughs) this, this, um, which I guess that would really fit. I mean, like you said it was awesome and maybe it's my age, but it's just like, I don't have any desire to go back to that. I don't, I don't think there's a desire. I'll tell you this. I mean, from like the younger millennial mindset, like if you're thinking of it, like evangelistically, None of my atheist or agnostic friends would be like, oh, you've got a camel? I'm coming. Well, the people that are listening right now are like, oh, he has friends that are atheist and agnostic? <laughs> I'm yep. Kidding. I'm kidding. You, we all do. Um, yeah, I think, I think pageants had their season. I think they really had their season. I mean, I remember we used to do, when I was growing up in church, we did Easter cantatas. Easter cantatas. I mean, do you, I mean the, we even gave, we gave them cool names and everything. Um, but they were big deals, like these big Easter celebrations. We used to do even like children's choir all the time and youth choir and youth drama. And I mean, I'm not opposed to like <laughs> a choir or a little drama of some some sort, but I think just culture's changed. It has. I think at least for the younger generation. Like, yeah. Like, I don't mean to insult anybody who's like really wanting to go back to that, but I don't think that's an effective way of reaching your community anymore. But I think churches only want to go back like generations. I don't think they want to go back all the way. I think they just want to go back to be like, well, you know, back, back 30 years ago, we used to do this. Well, you know, back 60 years ago, (laughs) it used to look more like this. Well, I don't want to go back 60 years. (laughs) I just want to go back 30 years. Yeah. I mean, that's like, how do you define back in the day? I guess it's like when Paul talks about the, you know, the recent contemporary music wars, but like it wasn't that long ago that they were arguing about whether or not the piano should be in the room. Oh yeah. It was a honky tonk thing. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a bar instrument. It wasn't a church instrument. Uh, the organ was the only church instrument you could have. And, uh, if not just acapella, I mean, that was a big deal. Um, but yeah, I think too, I mean, churches back in the day didn't have a lot of financial resources. And so for them to um, be able to even have the money to buy a piano, you know, much less get somebody out of the bar to come play it, you know, <laughs> I think there was, um, I mean, you, you see elements of the, of the classicalness of the piano throughout history, um, but the reality of it is in, in, in the church world, any, it was almost like anything that was tied to the outside world of the church, the church just shunned completely. Um, and I think I, I would, I would say that we've kind of gone, not necessarily in the middle, but I think that the church has, but it's funny to me because we still pick and choose like what's acceptable or what's not like, oh, for sure. I mean, it's like, yeah, we don't want to look like the world, but then it's like the preacher's also expected to wear a suit and tie. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So some parts of the business world are okay. I wondered what it would be like if I got up on a Sunday morning in like, a, like a, Just okay a shirt. Just like an okay shirt and some jeans and some like okay shoes. Like, would I get fired? Or just a t-shirt and tennis shoes? Like, just to see. That'd be, I don't know if I could do that. Who's gonna? <laughs> I don't know if I could do that because I don't know if it would be like me. <laughs> Mainly because I don't look great in tennis shoes because I have boats for feet. Okay, and so you get it's to like, wear your Vans or your well, I have like, or well, whatever. I have, like, I have like, I told them, I said I have like a size 13 like monster paddle foot. And so anytime that I wear like shoes that it just, it looks funny. I, I can only wear certain shoes cause I look down at my feet and I go, golly, you look like a monster. And so I have to, I have to wear things that I don't know for, I think that might just be in your head a little it, bit. It's probably it, never thought like, man, you know, he's got really large feet. <laughs> you know, you know, sit back and go, Oh my gosh, I'm embarrassed to stand I've, next to this guy. I've, I've never his noticed feet, that his feet are the size of, of car tires and I can't deal with it. But, that, but that's probably just self-consciousness growing up. Anyways, that's a whole other story. I'll <laughs> see a counselor about that one. Um, but it is, I think we pick and choose a lot of things in church life because um, we we want things to be a certain way. We want to hold people to a, a certain standard. 
but I think sometimes even that standard gets kind of unrealistic. Like we, we hold people to an even unrealistic standard. I'm all for righteousness, holiness, and, and purity in those ways and, and being set apart from the world. But I think that at times we've taken that idea of being set apart um, and we've created our own class and our own structure and our own culture out of that. We expect every new believer coming into the church to fit within our culture that we've created. And we never teach them how to go back into their context of life and do discipleship and ministry and evangelism and, and teaching and um, even preaching and, and prophesying the word. I think that's just one of the things that um, we don't do. Uh, we, we want you to come into our world to adopt the things that we do, to adapt the way that we do. Um, and I think that gives people a bad taste of church in their mouth because then like, well, now I'm, it almost like, I think there are times where, and I'm not saying Calvary is always this way, but I think there are times where people feel like they're joining a cult more than they're joining a, a body of like-minded believers who worship the Lord together and want to see people come into that salvation and that fruition. Um, and I don't know. I mean, that may just be. No, I think you're onto something. And I think the more that culture changes, like, because not that long ago, it wasn't, like the church culture wasn't too different from the world culture. It was like, yeah, yeah, we don't get drunk and we don't sleep around and we don't do drugs. And, you know, there's like these really big sins that mm-hmm. every youth group would harp on. But it was yep. like, for the most part, like, <laughs> you know, the church culture and the culture in the Bible Belt, at least like, you know, if you were in West Coast or Northeast, maybe it's a little different. But around the Bible Belt, like it wasn't like the culture was all that different but i think as we see culture change more and more the church is looking stranger and stranger yeah and if we don't learn how to take people who don't believe but then like understand the gospel and come to faith like yeah we're gonna have to walk them through that process yeah but it's like again i mean francis schaefer always talked about it and that being that that kind of a dualistic life that we lead where it's like on Sunday, we're a certain type of person. Like we have to put on that Christian persona. And then Monday through Saturday, we go back to work and we are work and uh, home. Like we're, we're, we are workers. We are husbands. We're fathers. And so that's, you know, Monday through Saturday is going to look different. Sunday, oh, time to go to church. Like let's, let's do that. And we, we begin to separate out, um, what church looks like versus what we should look like or what we look like during the week. And we talk with a lot of our um, people about this all the time because there's questions that our people have on that. It's like, well, how does this work? How does this look? And really one of the things we're always doing is we're, we're not so much trying to make you smarter in the Bible as we are trying to, to help you understand what it means to live in a Christ-like worldview. So how do you see the world around you through the lenses of Christ on a regular basis? And that's really, I think, part of the role of the church coming together as community. Yes, we sit into the word. Yes, we hear the teaching of the word and how it applies to our life. Um, But how do we actually apply that and view our context through that? How do we filter the context of our relationships and our family and our work through scripture? Um, And that's really, I think, the bigger challenge in Christianity. For a long time there, the push, especially, I think, in the 80s, and into the 90s, the push was, let's get people saved. Let's do high attendance Sundays. Let's do high this. Let's get people in the doors. Let's get people walking the aisles. Let's get people saved. Let's do, you know, five, six, seven day revivals. Let's do, I remember youth revivals growing up. And I thought, these are awesome. Because, I mean, as a 90s kid, youth revivals were a big thing. We'd throw out a ton of pizza. We'd throw out a ton of Mountain Dew. You'd bring in this dynamic speaker. I mean, the edgy speaker, all right, was the guy who was coming in in cargo like pants. So he would have or like carpenter pants, like cargo pants. So he would come in with that. He had long straggly hair. He'd wear a polo shirt and like some flip flops. <laughs> you know? And we were like, that dude is cool. Because he wasn't wearing a suit and tie. He wasn't all prim and proper. You know, you have a guy coming in to lead worship. And he had like an acoustic guitar and his buddy was on like a cajon or a, a djembe, you know, 
and you're like, yes, this is rocking. This is awesome. It was so different for us then than what was traditional and normal. I, the church I grew up in was hymns. It was choirs. It was Christmas programs, Easter cantatas, uh, pageants, um, all these programs and activities to draw people in. I mean, that was the desire, draw people in. Then we do revivals and then youth revivals. We could throw pizza and Mountain Dew at any youth ministry problem and see a hundred kids show up. Yeah, but I think that's the bigger problem. Like I think I think so much of the reason we see people dropping out of the church in droves, like both millennials and Gen Z in particular, is because a lot of people went down an aisle and they had some sort of experience. And then it was like the church didn't really care too much. Like, we want you here. You know, if you tithe, that's great. But, like, there wasn't much for you afterwards. And maybe even, like, on the darker end of things, people were still struggling with certain sins. Like, Mm -hmm. they were still feeling guilt or shame about something. Like, the pastor told them they were saved and they were good. And I'm speaking very broadly about the American church, not anything I grew up in or here or anything like that. But I think, like, I talked to a bunch of people doing college ministry that are like, yeah, I just, I thought I believed that at one point, but then I didn't experience anything, any change, any, like I was still me, I was still broken and I just gave up on the whole idea of church. Yeah. And so I think, you know, not that any sort of push to get people here or want to see people understand the gospel or want to see people saved, like that's obviously not a bad thing, but it's like, I mean, if you think about it from, the perspective of particularly Paul in his letters in the New Testament. It's like everything he wrote in those letters was to people who were already in church. Yeah. Like they weren't primarily evangelistic. Did he repeat the gospel at times? Yes. But he was writing to church members and specifically like I'm thinking in Galatians 4, I don't remember what verse, like 19 or 20, somewhere in there. Um, he says like my desire for you you know, just to reiterate, he's talking to people who are already Christians. He's like, my desire for you is to be like formed into the, the image of Christ. Right. And he even gives the analogy of like, he, he's longing for that, like a woman in childbirth. It's like, that's crazy. That's intense. We don't even like, talk, we don't talk like that anymore. <laughs> no, we don't. Cause it would be weird to people, but yeah. like that is how strongly he's desiring these people who are already Christians, who already understand the gospel to be further transformed into the image of Christ. Like he says a similar thing and um, when he's writing to the Corinthians and he's like, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yeah. And it's like how few people could say that today. Like you're so confident in your spiritual walk that you're like, yeah, follow me like I'm following Jesus. Yeah. Well, and you've got such a big mix in there too. I mean, you've got guys that have grown up in church, what, what, what we would consider church. Um, guys that grew up in synagogue that have been sitting under teaching for years that had grown up in, in, uh, you know, Jewish families that obviously understood the character and the nature of God and the, and the transcendent power of God. But now they have to switch their mindset from knowing about God to experiencing and knowing God through relationship with Jesus. I think, you know, and, I think the American church has to do that too. I think that there are points where we have to go, okay, especially the Bible belt. We've been around God a lot, but how has he transformed us? And I think that's one of the things, especially, and it's nothing against any of the church leaders I had growing up. I think that was one of the things that I missed a lot in youth group. Uh, I missed it a lot, you know, even I think in, in college years coming into through that the transformative nature and power of Jesus. I mean, he literally, Paul, the apostle Paul literally writes that, that it's that relationship through Christ that makes you into a new creation, a new being, a new thing. And that's, that requires transformation. You know, in order to create something new, it has to go through a process of transformation. And I think a lot of people have been to a process of knowing God but not a process of knowing the transformative power and nature of God. Um, well, and I think part of that goes to the doctrine of <clears throat> sanctification. Yeah. Like, it's like, even though you're saved in a moment, like there's still a process by which like, uh, I think it's in first Peter. He says like, you're being saved. 
Like there's still this process in which God is working on your heart. And sometimes that happens in an instant, but most of the time in most areas of issue for people, like it can take months or years or even decades for like real transformation to happen. Yeah. And that's not like something you can easily market because it's not, you know, super sexy, but it's like, yeah, sanctification can take a very long time. Yeah. I think that, you know, sanctification especially is an ideal part of what is it, it, it's an ideal part of being being a believer in Christ because sanctification is so broad in how um, we feel guilty sometimes, I think, for sin. And we should, and we should feel a little bit of shame in there. Like sin should bring about certain aspects of guilt and shame into our life, to our conscience, to where we go, Why? what did I just do? Like, that's not, this is not what I need to be involved in. This is not what I need to be doing. This is not where my thoughts need to go. This is not where my, my words, my actions, my life needs to go. Um, and especially for like pastors, I think pastors who isolate themselves from that and they feel no guilt or shame for things, I think that they're just, they're in a business and that's different. I think those guys are businessmen. They're not pastors. Um, pastors should always be sensitive to the needs of their people. It would be like me going into a church that says, oh, um, I know the church's budget is only $150,000, but you know, if you want me to come be your pastor, you're going to have to pay me $100,000. It's like, you obviously don't care about the needs of your church. Like the needs of your church, if you want to do ministry at all, like you've pretty much squashed that because you need to be the man. But it, I've noticed, especially through college and seminary, there's a lot of guys that pursue ministry more for business than they do for ministry. Um, they they see what they can get out of it. It's an easy way to get something out of it as opposed to loving people. But anyway, on the flip side of, of even talking about that conversation with, with the church at Galatia and, and the, Paul's writings, you've got the the Jewish people in the church that have at least grown up around some semblance of community, teaching, uh, what we would even consider maybe preaching, the understanding of the teaching of the word, to Greeks through what they would consider pagans who are coming out of different religious, multiple different religious things, different practices, different stuff that they did. And it's like, what, what is this? What is all this new stuff? You know, and imagine... Imagine walking into a church on a Sunday morning in Nacogdoches, Texas, and you are greeted by multiple people and they say, well, what religion are you coming out of? You know, (laughs) I mean, that's, that's what it was. I mean, it was like, what religion are you coming out of? You know, that's not, I don't ask that question when people come visit our church. I'm like, (laughs) are you from Nacogdoches? How long have you lived in Nacogdoches? Those things, I ask those questions because it gives me an idea. Okay. Where am I going to take this conversation next? Like if you are a long time member of the community, all right, have you been involved in a church up to this point? What church was that? Why are you leaving or why are you visiting? Or um, so I think that those those are questions that kind of help me because we're in the Bible Belt. I'm not I'm not trying to say well, I'm not in the Northwest where I have to say well how how do you identify yourself? Like I'm not yeah. having to sit with someone and going what's your pronouns? You know. I, what, I don't have to worry about that for the most part. Go back to college ministry. Maybe you will. Yeah. Yeah. I just got to put myself in the right context. (laughs) And, um, but I think, could you imagine being a new Testament church and the guest services team of the house church that day that's serving up, you know, probably wine and fish (laughs) and and flatbread. Um, could you imagine? Well, what, what, what religion, what, uh, what, what God did you serve before you came here today? Was the sacrifice <laughs> to a certain God? Yeah. 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 What, uh, what was your meat sacrifice? That'll give me a good idea about who you served. And even, I mean, golly, even the marketplace, you couldn't escape it though. I mean, growing up in the communities and the towns at that time, you couldn't escape the faith that you came out of to come into relationship with Jesus. You go to the market to buy food. You can't escape it. It's everywhere, you know? Yeah, but I think like regardless of how different their context was, like there was still the general principle of like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like I don't want to downplay salvation, but there's also an element of new Testament Christianity towards like, that's 
the maybe the most important thing if you want to put it like that but it's also yeah. like the start it's phase one like you're just beginning your relationship yeah. with the lord and like now you have this whole other community to be a part of you have this whole life of being transformed to be more and more like jesus um and i think that's an interesting piece because what we do is by chance and, and i say by chance because i spoke with other pastors in our area uh even recently asking them, are you seeing new salvations, like new people coming off the street in Nacogdoches, Texas, coming into your church that have no affiliation with church? Are you seeing brand new salvations? Like, not really. For the most part, it's people that are moving into the community or it's college kids or things like that that have a relationship. Like, there's not a whole lot of people like coming off the street, seeing this amazing new work and this new teaching that's revolutionizing their community and their lives and they're going, I want to be a part of that. That's not what we're seeing in terms of church membership in Nacogdoches for the most part. Um, so imagine though, like imagine though Sunday morning, somebody comes in off the street, you ask them, what brought you here? I need the life transforming power of Jesus. I've never been in church in my life. And then on the flip side, we ask them to operate under the preconceived notions of what we think they should do. It's it's really I don't know, and it may just be that it, it may just be me being um, playing devil's advocate on a lot of things because that's kind of what I do to ask those questions and to really push against the normal. But you know, I've I've been at churches where I've gone to guest preach or to guest serve, and they're like, "You need to tuck that shirt in, boy." I remember doing a youth. <laughs> I remember doing a youth revival. I was doing a youth revival. And I came back from it, and one of the comments that was made was, "Well, you know, the one guy he he spoke really good, but you know, he he should have tucked his shirt in like that would have been <laughs> okay." Like and I was wearing a button-up shirt, like it wasn't even like anyway. I'm still hurt about that. No, I'm not. I'm <laughs> Wonder not, if that person actually listened to anything I'm you not said. Bitter. <laughs> well, I don't even know. If, I was in college, so I don't even know if what I said made sense um, <laughs> at that time. Um, but I think that there are uh, just trying to think from. If I was a new believer, had never grown up in church, never experienced Christian community, and I walked into a church in our area for the first time, what what would I think? What would be my perspective? You know? I mean, I think it depends where that individual would be coming from. Because if it was from either a more secular part of the U.S. or a different country, let's say, like maybe things would be really strange to them, but I feel like even in our sort of post-Christian context, like people are still, even if they haven't been involved in church in years, like they're vaguely familiar enough, even just from TV or movies, like it's not super strange to them. Yeah. But I think the thing that prevents those people from wanting to be involved is like not seeing that life transformation after salvation. Like they see a bunch of people that come in, but then like, uh, what's the name of that book? I don't know. You said books. You've already lost me. <laughs> it's a book I feel like you would like. I think it's called like Unchristian or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, uh, it was uh, done by the Barna people. Oh man, is it Game Lions? And then I don't know. It's been like ten years since I've read it, but yeah. they they released all the sociological data about like what is the perception of Christians from non-Christians in all 50 states and yeah. like the top 10 adjectives that non-Christians used to describe Christians, like none of them were the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Like none of them were anything you would say about Jesus. Yeah. And so again, I'm not, not talking about our church in particular. I'm not talking about any church that I grew up in, mm -hmm. but I think the general problem is secular people look at the church and they see something that does not look like Jesus. Yeah. And so sort of going back to that process of sanctification, um, you're a fan of Richard Foster, right? Yeah. So people like Richard Foster, Dallas Willard, um, some of those guys who I think maybe in the Baptist world we look on with a little bit of suspicion because they yeah. get a little charismatic. Um, Thomas Merton. Yeah. People like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think there's something to their writing about like there is a so so in the youth we've been talking about the gospel of John since like last summer and 
John says in chapter 20 that he writes this book for two reasons, that they would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and the second one is that they might have life in his name. Mm-hmm. And that Greek word life is the Greek word zoe, which is like spiritual life. It doesn't mean yeah. biological life. It's not bios. Um, but it's this sort of like emotional well-being, this not, and you know, you could get real prosperity gospel real quick. And I'm not saying like this, it's this eternal happiness or anything like yeah. that, but he's not even talking about eternal life, which I think is how most people in the Bible belt kind of take it as like, Oh yeah, you're going to live forever. And it's like, that's yeah. actually not what he's talking about. He's talking about sort of your well being as a human being. And so much of us in the church, like we don't think that has anything to do with our faith. Well, and that's what I love about even that idea of life and life abundantly. Yeah, same, like, same word. Uh, yeah, it's also that, Zoe. Yeah, that abundance, and and we, we, I think a lot of people can take that and twist that to say, well, God's called you to live a life of abundance, and when we talk about that in today's culture, we tend to translate that to yeah, many or much, uh, whether it's money or stuff or or things, and and then it begins to come to this point of, is that really what Jesus wants us to have as things? Because that would completely contradict where he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy mm-hmm. and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But that's where that Greek word's so important because he's saying abundant zoe. It's like, yeah. and, and what I've tried to tell the youth is like, it's not like directly just the fruit of the spirit, but like you can basically put any of those in there. Like yeah. abundant love, abundant joy, abundant peace, abundant patience, like these attributes that like in theory yeah. are really, really nice, but we don't experience maybe as much as we would like to, but that's actually the things that Jesus is talking about that we get from our relationship with him. And I think, I mean, when you really talk about like abundance and fruit of the spirit in that life that we have, I I personally love fruits of the spirit. I love teaching on that as much as I can, uh, like one word at a time, just so people really understand it. But I, I always find it interesting that, in, especially in the church, um, we talk about love a lot. You know, we need to love one another. We need to love our neighbors. We need to love God. We need to love our family. But then there's this aspect of joy, like the second word in there, love, joy. I think that gets robbed a lot out of the church. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, as a, as a minister, I feel a lot of pressure from the organization I guess not necessarily, I wouldn't really say the people, but just the aspect of the organization and all the things that come with it. There's a lot of pressure that comes from, I guess the people in the organization at times to where that joy can get robbed, where you, where you start to lose joy in ministry because you're, you're not dealing with spiritual matters. 90% of the time you're dealing with, um, personal, um, peeves, I guess. So things that just irritate people. Or ordering envelopes like this morning. Uh, order, sorry, that was, <laughs> I was ordering envelopes this morning for the church so that you could give above and beyond. Um, and it's annoying because I'm like, I'm not spending that much money on that. It's <laughs> ridiculous. It's an envelope. Uh, <laughs> but it has its value. It has its importance. Um, but even still, I think of like, and I'm, I, I can't, I can't say that I don't do this too, because it's very easy to find me. I, I like things to be a certain way. I like things to have a certain standard that we work towards and that we're working towards on a regular basis. So there are a lot of moments where I step back and go, this shouldn't be done like this. It should be done like this. Um, but I have to remember in my own heart that I can't rob the joy from the church by allowing my own personal things to get in the way of ministry. I've had to even sit back and say, okay, this person wants to do this thing this way. I would never do it that way. Like that was, I would not even think to do it that way. But if I come in and interfere and start taking over, is it going to take away their joy of ministry because I'm in there taking over and I'm trying to do it my way as opposed to how God is leading them. I think there's part of that's faith. You just have to trust them. But I know for a lot of people, joy in the church is just not something they think about. Well, I think this goes back to that idea of sanctification that I was talking about earlier of like, you know, sometimes it'd be really nice if we just snapped our fingers and we had those attributes. But it's like yeah. some people are just 
more joyful than others. And for yeah. the ones that are less, it's like you should be growing in that. Um, like it's really easy to be joyful. Like if you have kids, like with your kids, yeah. Um, you know, assuming you're not in a fight or something, it's usually pretty easy to be joyful with your spouse. And then maybe your work environment is a place that you can be joyful or maybe it's not, but like, can you figure out a way to enjoy the little things or like, um, just grow in the places that it's harder to be joyful or patient or, you know, fill in any of those self-control. It's like, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's not. Um, but yeah. like, are you growing in that, in your relationship with Christ? Right. So I think looking at that process of sanctification though, um, we do, we do get kind of sidetracked. I think at times between sanctification, stopping usually at justification, <laughs> Like we just want to get people saved. Um, and I think that really is more of a big deterrent than people think, especially with younger generations. It's almost like you just want me for a numbers thing or you just want me for an increase of this. You just want me for, and I thought about this on the way in the other day of the idea that we talk about all the time of the felt need and how the church has to be a little bit more in tune with looking at the felt needs of the community. And when we look at even our community, we think, you know, what is the felt need of our community? We could focus on college kids or we could focus on young families. We could focus on this or that. that. But really, what is the whole community having to, to endure and deal with and go through? Um, and that's that idea of aloneness. So imagine if you come into the church and the only thing I need from you is to get saved and walk the aisle so that you can stand in front of everyone. And I can show you, oh, we've got all these people you don't know. Look at all these people. We're so excited that you have come into a relationship with Jesus. And that's important. And that's a big deal. But if, if that were me and I stood before the church saying I made a commitment to Jesus and no one walked beside me after that, I would feel used more than I would feel apart. You know? Yeah. You know who Jordan Peterson is? Yeah. So for those who don't, he's a clinical psychologist, used to teach at the University of Toronto, um, kind of controversial figure. Um, but he interviewed a Catholic bishop on his podcast, and I listened to it just because I thought it was super interesting. But he was saying he thinks that the sort of the felt need of our culture, or at least one of them, uh, particularly for young men, is to tell them to like basically man up and take on some more responsibility. Yeah. And, you know, that sounds like a super not popular or attractive thing to be said. But essentially, that's like what his lectures were saying. And he's got the most downloaded podcast, I think. Uh, yeah. In under the education category or something. And I mean, he he did a whole lecture series on the psychological significance of Genesis. And so he literally taught through the book of Genesis from the standpoint of a psychologist who doesn't actually believe the Bible. So that was super weird. But in Toronto, Canada, that, you know, very, very few churches. Yeah. He was selling out this stadium or not stadium auditorium. Uh, just trying to tell people like the psychological significance of some of these stories. Yeah. And the fact that like churches are struggling to get people but they'd come listen to this guy who didn't actually believe that these stories were historically true. But he'd tell him like, I mean, there's all these memes going around when Peterson blew up. It was like, clean your room. But it gave people something to do. Yeah. And what he told this Catholic bishop, he said, I think part of the reason that the church is losing people, and granted he's talking to the Catholic church, but I think right. it is at least somewhat applicable to us as Protestants, um, is you know, we've been so much about love and forgiveness and it's like, I'm not saying we don't talk about those things because it's obviously key to the gospel. Yeah. But he was saying like, you need to tell people like how to better their lives. Even if that means like taking on more responsibility or more self-control or like being kind of like, uh, strict isn't the right word, but almost like a more parental figure for people. Um, cause we kind of live in a culture that does whatever the heck we want to do. Right. And I think that's, well, I mean, <clears throat> it, if we could figure out a way 
to help people understand how to better their lives alongside the word. I think that would be a revolutionary way that we could take that and, and see people. I mean, who doesn't want to better their lives? I mean, who really, I mean, that's why when you think about it, people, people fall for things all the time because it promises something better. You know, if you do this, it's going to be better. If you do this, it's going to be better. And now with younger generations growing up within a social media world, that, that uh, goal line of betterment continues to move. And so they're always trying to keep up with what you could say, keep up with the Joneses to better their life and better. If I do this, it'll better my, if I own this, it'll better my life. If I um, chase after this type of a person, it'll better my life. If I, and, and, and so they're always trying to find a way uh, to better themselves. And even to a point where they're willing to bring certain aspects of culture down in order that they may feel better about who they are. And I think that's been a new trend lately where we, remove aspects of our culture and even aspects of our history so that we can feel better uh, moving forward. And, and that may be a stretch there. So don't, don't say, well, that's what, well, it goes back to that whole felt need part of the conversation of like, you know, you use the example of loneliness, but like depression's at an all time high anxiety's at an all time high. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of issues in our culture. And I think the, the tightrope that you have to walk is, not losing the gospel because that's kind of what progressive Christianity does is you kind of put the essentials on the side and try to talk about whatever is just the most recent and relevant thing. Yeah. Um, but keeping the gospel first and foremost and clear, but then saying like, what does this faith actually have to do with loneliness or depression or anxiety? Like what does the Bible have to say? How should the church treat these issues? Um, how, how do you do both? Yeah, and I think that that's something that is new for a lot of people in the church because you've got so many generations of of people in in churches now. You've got people that have experienced a lot of different things and have, have come through those experiences um, to where what we're seeing in younger generations, what they're experiencing now, people can look at that and go, whoa, like, buck up, buttercup. Like, it's time to, you know, and I think that what we're not seeing and realizing is because of the culture change, because of what like our kids are going to grow, what they're going to be growing up in and what's going to be at their fingertips on a regular basis, that's going to dramatically change the way that they think and the way that they do and how they respond. And um, that the accessibility of information, the accessibility of other strangers' lives you know, I mean, it was, who would have ever thought, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that you could make millions of dollars creating videos on your phone for people to watch. I mean, who would have ever thought 30 years ago that that would be a job or a market um, of advertisement, that companies would come to you and pitch products to you so that you could be a spokesperson for that product on your YouTube channel with millions of people following you. No one in their wildest dreams thought of that. TV was reserved for actors. You know, video was reserved for actors and for newscasters, you know? Yeah. Um, And the videos that you would take, your home videos, those were on your Super 8 and they were only allowed to like (laughs) hang out there. They weren't allowed to go further than that. And... I just remember, like, I remember doing videos and we had a video camera growing up as a kid, but golly, it was the one where you had to like load a VHS tape in it, uh-huh. slam it shut. Yeah. Um, we had one of those. Which it was great to actually pirate videos with that. <laughs> not saying that that's what ever happened, but you could rent a movie from the store and funnel it through the video camera and then record it. And anyway, <laughs> um, there were, there's always, there's always been a workaround somewhere in history. Um, but I think that that was a big, a big thing that people had. And then I remember even it going from black and white to color when you had, you could shoot and you could record in color, but your screen was still black and white. I remember the first TV that my parents had, I've seen pictures where it's on a little TV stand and it's just a black and white with some antennas on the back. That was a big deal. Then having a color TV was a huge deal. 
you know, and we have one of those massive console TVs. But think now of how far culture has changed. I rarely watch my television. I I, oh, yeah. I can watch everything I need to on my phone. Yeah. You know, I don't even I have like a television in my pocket. I don't need any of those things. I'd I, much rather find something on YouTube to watch than try to watch anything on cable TV. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't even, it's just, so even culturally things have changed. Like the idea of a landline. How many people are ditching their landlines in their houses and just going with a cell phone? Now, some people live out in rural some areas. Younger people are like, what's a landline? <laughs> what's a landline? Um, so how much further is it going to be until somebody's like, what's a dish? Oh yeah. You know, what's a, and I remember the big dish. Like the monster thing that I was like, that's huge. Like you could sleep in that thing. But how how long is it going to be before people are like, I don't know what any of that is. Like probably, I don't know what any, probably really quick. Yeah, I mean, how rapidly has it moved in that direction? I mean, I've heard some older people like making fun of the metaverse, what Facebook's trying yeah. to do, and it's like we're probably <laughs> still a handful of years away from that becoming real. Yeah, but it's probably not as unrealistic or far away as you think. You got to think new kids coming in now in 18 years. I mean, how, how different things have been over the last 20 years. Imagine another 20 years, how rapidly and how different things are going to change within that amount of time. And we, as the church have to look back at that and say, are we going to ask people to continue to step backwards? They're, they're moving forward. They're always moving forward. And if we say, Hey, listen, I know that you are living in this and this and this, and this is the culture and this is your workplace. This is your environment. This is what's being expected of you. I'm going to need you to take a huge step back and, you know, jump back about 40 years with me, 50 years with me, bump golly. By that time, it's going to be, you know, 60 years with me. And this is how you should live. They're going to be real confused by that. And it's not to say that it can't, that pendulum can't swing in that direction. But I think the, the fear is like, well, what exactly are you asking us to change? I mean, the very fact that we're having this conversation on a podcast shows that we're at least sort of keeping up with technology. And so the question would be like, okay, well, if you think this metaverse thing is going to be a thing, like, are you going to have a church in the metaverse? Are we going to buy digital yeah. real estate? Like, what what are you asking us to be a part of, Charles? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that, but we're even now, I mean, I remember years ago, we were already seeing the start of online-only churches where you could join a church online and not actually have to go to a service. Um, now with you know, post-pandemic, we're seeing a lot of that take place. People aren't actually involved in a local community where they physically see people face-to-face anymore. It's all online. Everything is online-based. Everything is online communities. Everything is... Yeah, is, but I think that's a that comes from a bad understanding of what church is. Like we think about churches, I sing and I hear somebody preach or teach. Like that's all that people think of church. And so if that's all you think, it's like, yeah, I can have a playlist on Spotify or Apple Music and then I... I find whatever teacher I want to listen to and then that's church. But I mean, going back to that conversation about what is the new Testament church? I mean, yeah. so much of it was like an actual community of people and you know, not to sound like I'm against the technology, but like part of it is being in person. Yeah. It's like we might have a podcast and we may live stream our stuff, but like you still have to be a part of an actual fellowship of people to be a part of the church technically. Yeah. And I think that if we isolate that being a part of a church to only this, this build the, the building you go to on a Sunday morning, which we do, we say, well, if you're not in the building on a Sunday morning, you're, you're not at church. Like you're not part of the church. I mean, I, I can understand that to a point. Like we want you to, to be a part of the community to contribute and, and to, to help in the process. Um, but I think that reality too is we, we have to also, we have to also understand that sometimes church takes place in different dynamics and in a different, in different spheres of influence. Um, I think even discipleship takes place. Accountability takes place in different spheres and different contexts. Yeah. I'm not saying it has to happen at the church building. Yeah. But it happens within a group of people. And I think if you, solely put that online now obviously if you were in a situation like we were in in the beginning of the pandemic um it's like well no one's leaving their house we're making the best of what we have but you know now coming out of things you know obviously there's still some precautions and whatnot but we can meet up together and so 
I don't want to just be in a Facebook group and chatting with the same yeah. 14 people um, who may or may not actually be participating or watching. Like I'm just right. saying like there's, so yeah, I, I get what you're saying about like, it doesn't have to be at the church. It can happen at a coffee shop or at your friend's house or like the church can be the church. And by that, I mean like not our building, but the actual people doing yeah. churchy things outside yeah. of the building. But that still requires that community of people, that group of believers. Yeah, and I think that that within that group, like it has to have some cohesiveness to it. I think there has to be that understanding of what what the gospel is, what the truth is, what what all that is contained in. And so, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of questions on it as we move forward in trying to understand and trying to better perceive the way that the church can always be moving forward in culture. Uh, I don't think that I don't think there's just a, a solid answer. But I do think that one of the things we have to make sure of is that we are not stepping back and saying um, that we are going to require people to, <sighs> what's the best way to describe this as? I don't want to say follow under a certain set of parameters because, I mean, the gospel gives us pretty clear boundaries about how we should uh, live our life. And it gives us very clear understanding of what is acceptable in our lives and what is not. And even though that culture around us and the world around us may find things to be acceptable, if it's contradictory to scripture, then it's not acceptable in our lives and in our community. So we cannot accept that as a part. Um, so I completely understand that aspect of it. But I think too, we have to begin to church as a church, begin to say, what are the, what are the boundaries that scripture gives us that we need to have in place? And then what are the boundaries that we are imposing on people that aren't biblical at all, but we're asking them to be a part of that because it makes us feel more comfortable in that. I know for me, there's a lot of things I've done in church or there's a lot of things I've disagreed with at the modern church today, and especially in America has done that may not be biblically unsound, but it just makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, and they like what, well, I mean, <laughs> I think there are certain aspects of even like, like worship music, you know, I think there there's certain things of that where I feel like I'm going to a rock concert at times more than I'm just being able to be a part of a community and have aspects of worship. Um, I think there are just certain parts of liturgy that we look at and go, oh, well, it has to be done like this or you're not. And, and it is people, even in modern churches, people go, well, if you're not doing it this way, then you're not really doing it right. I mean, is that true? Because... Oh, can I step on some toes and say I've always felt that way about taking communion on the fifth Sunday of every month? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, a good, like a good Baptist should. A, where is that in the Bible? And that's a, that's a big topic too because, I mean, people think, well, you know, we only do communion once a quarter and that's when we're supposed to do it. And it's like as often as you do this. Yeah. You know, I, I, that implies regularity. It doesn't imply occasionally. You know, it implies, you know, if I were to say, oh, I do such and such often, someone's going to think, oh, they do this all the time. You know, if we're going to say in a church that we're going to do something often, then we need to be doing it on, on a regular basis. So I think that the that idea of doing something often, we have to begin to say for us as a church, how are we going to, how are we going to, I don't want to say stand out in our community, but how are we going to engage our community to a point where they can they can feel like they're apart, that they don't feel like they're distant, and we're a friendly church. We we are a very welcoming church, so I don't think I don't think people are going to walk in and go, "Oh, you guys are super unfriendly." Like I, I don't feel like I'm apart. Um, but how do we say? How do we get to a point of saying, you know, not only are we a church that cares about you and your family, but we're really intentional about how we grow in relationship with Jesus, and we want you to follow in that as well. But that intentionality cannot be steeped and and suffocated in traditionalism too. And I think that's that's part of what I've known in a lot of churches. What what kills a lot of churches is they're so steeped in that traditionalism that when that traditionalism goes against scripture, they can't see it. And they wonder why they're suffering the way that they are. So when people when we tell people we're thinking a little bit outside the box, it's not because we're trying to be different. It's not because we're trying to, but we're trying to say, okay, what are some things that we can incorporate into our church that allow us to get back on a train that is going closer to where Scripture is? 
Um, and I think every church goes through that. I don't think that there's a single church in America that is just doing it perfect. And when you talk with a pastor, I don't think there's a pastor in an American church right now going, hey, I've got all the answers. We are doing it perfect. We are doing it great. On the surface, because as pastors, we can't like we can't be sinful or like prideful or any of that stuff. Like so, on the surface, I think that oh yeah, we we have a great church and we're doing it awesome. We're doing it fantastic. Um, but I get, I bet if you really get talking with them, there's something in there that that they're saying, man, we really screw up on this or we really don't do this well or uh, we really suffer in this way. So I think that that's that's a thing that as churches, especially as leaders, we have to step back and and allow faults to exist in our lives. Like I think we have to allow ourselves to, to be at fault at times. Um, but I think we have to allow ourselves to also see the things in our church, see the needs to see where we need to grow and make those hard changes. I was talking with Melina the other day. I have yet to find a church in our community that has made a change and feathers haven't been ruffled within that congregation. Cause that's what change does. It ruffles yeah. Feathers. Well, that's why so many young guys want a church plant. Yeah. Because they don't want any tradition to deal with. Like they just want to start in, you know, they put in their own traditions, but they yeah. don't want to deal with the past traditions of whatever the congregation is. But then you give them 10 or 15 years in a church plant and guess what? They've got their own traditions now. Yeah. And then they're going to plant another church because they don't want to deal with their own traditions. <laughs> they don't deal with their own traditions that they set up. And so, um, and, and so it's just interesting how uh, in established ministries and established churches, we're always going to be dealing with with that idea of when well, the past we used to this, or if we would just get back to this, things would be, would be better. Um, and, and we don't have a, we don't have a magic ball that we can look into and see the future that if we were to continue to do something that it's going to be better. Um, I think sometimes we continue to do things because we want people to be happy. We want people to feel comfortable and we want people to feel safe. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's time that we pull back a little bit and say, well, how can we feel a little unsafe in this moment? What would it look like if we didn't do this? Would it be the end of the world? You might lose people in the process, but would it be the end of the world? And I think that's a, that's a tough spot to be in. I think at any church and any ministry to get to a point where you have to ask that question of, is this would this be the worst thing we've ever done? Um, and not to say that we at Calvary are doing anything that's going to be the worst thing ever done, but you know, as ministers, we always fear any aspect of change. You can sit in any staff meeting that we have on a, on a Tuesday. And in our conversation, Charles is going to sit back and be like, I don't know. I just don't think our people are going to get around it because it, 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 not that it completely flies in the face of our church or what we believe, but it's a change. And we, we have always taken the approach of doing things very slowly so that we can um, get people comfortable with, with certain changes. And we continue to take that approach. Um, but we are always trying to move forward. We don't want to be in the stone age. I think when it comes to how we do ministry, um, I don't think that we can be a new, like the, the true acts, new Testament church, because I don't, I don't know if anyone would be comfortable with going back to being a actual true acts, new Testament church. I think that they would scream socialism and run away. Um, <laughs> and socialists and there are slaves. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's things in Talk there about how messy that is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's messy and it was, it was messy then. And it's progressed over time out of that messiness. And I think that we're still doing that. I think the American church is still always going to progress. But really the church as a whole. Well, that's the whole idea of the Reformation. Yeah. We are reforming the traditions that got stuck in with the Catholic church. Yeah. And, you know, even within the Reformation, there's been denomination after denomination after denomination. And it's like everyone's trying to figure out what's just the traditions of man and what's the traditions of actual scripture. Yeah. And I think that's really the big thing is, getting back to what scripture is, but while at the same time, we're going to continue to push forward. We're going to look at some of the messiness that's been created in the past. And we're going to work through that to create and to do what is what we feel like biblical and also applicable to people in the culture that we're trying to reach. We can't discount that. 
I mean, it would be like us, us saying, Hey, I know you've grown up in a super non-religious home with no religious affiliation and you have no understanding who Jesus is. I want to invite you to church on Sunday, but I really need you to wear a suit and tie. That's the only way that they're going to accept you. I don't want to come then. I don't own a suit or tie. Yeah. I don't want to go if that's how it's going to be. You know, even the workforce is changing where the professionalism in work, you're seeing that that is, that is a, even that apparel is moving away. I'm kind of thinking in my mind and laughing about like how far you could take that in a not good direction though. Of like you can now tie them Bitcoin and Dogecoin. Like, yeah, I don't know. We accept crypto for your tithe. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see us accepting crypto anytime. It's such a volatile um, currency. And and I'm sure there's somebody out there going, it's Satan's currency. Um, that's maybe a stretch too. But I, I think that we have to, we do have to begin to ask ourselves that question. I mean, doing online giving was a big deal for us. Moving into online giving. You mean, are, are we not going to pass the plate anymore? No, that's... But even even during COVID, not passing the plate, that was like, well, how do I give to the church? I'm like, uh, well, we have these boxes here in the back, but you know, you can give it any time. Like, you don't have yeah. to have the plate come by to to give. Um, and so I, I even think through that aspect. And you've got churches now that are like, we don't ever pass the plate ever. We don't want to embarrass people that can't give. You know, or my they, church in Kansas City was. Yeah, they never pass a plate, you know. Uh, they don't in, They do not do invitations at the end. A lot of churches nope. have... They want to have that conversation in private. It yeah. isn't constrained by time. I remember a church I visited just recently uh, when I was back home that that the church just kind of, like the service just kind of ends. They have worship. The pastor teaches. And then when he's done, he prays and he's like, all right, that's it. We'll see you guys. I'm like, and I'm sitting there like, what? Ha- you're mi- you're missing something. I mean, compared to to you and Brother Paul, I feel like even my conclusions are kind of that way, and that comes from the influence from this church in Kansas City. But it was like, if you need to talk about something really important, like I don't want you to feel like we've got just you know by the time we get through verse three of the song before our conversation's done. Like, if we need to go to lunch, if we're going to be here all afternoon, like let's yeah. have that conversation. But like, I'm not going to try to make it awkward in front of the entire congregation and then we can announce whatever decision you made next week. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that, that brother Paul and I always talk about is that the invitation is never over. We try to stress that as much as we can. It is, I'll say this, it is awkward standing out there and you're looking at all these people and you're like, how do I plead for you to, well, and I don't think that that's necessarily like a bad thing. I'm not saying like I do it better than you guys, but like, it's just, yeah. it's a difference based on tradition and yeah, it's one of those things that you can do it different ways and it's okay. Yeah. So it, you know, it, it always just kind of stems down from, you know, when you saw invitations really take place, I mean, that was back in evangelistic eras. We're not talking about like, you know, revival times. We're talking about evangelistic eras awakenings where people in droves were coming to a, a, a truer a deeper understanding of what it meant to follow jesus you you were inviting people to respond to that because their heart was already inclined to that but i think right now we're just not seeing a lot of hearts inclined to the things of jesus um we have to go out into the trenches we have to go out into the the workplaces and go out into the culture and into the community and we have to to kind of get people's uh, attention on some of those things. I'm going to have to edit this thing so much. <laughs> like all I hear in my ears is... I think next time, you know, barring family emergencies, we should not have our phones in this room. No, not even close. Put it on Do Not Disturb. I tried that one time. I mean, I literally left mine in my office. I'm proud of you. I'm not as brave as you. As you can kind of. I mean, I did tell Felicia call the office if there's an emergency, but. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else can wait. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I don't so, even remember where we left off. I don't even remember where we left off. So just just for you guys listening, we've we've had about four different interruptions. If you <laughs> didn't know, that means Charles did a great yeah, job editing. I did a great job <laughs> editing. Um, but we've had several interruptions this one, and and I don't know. I mean, it may be that it's a good podcast and that's kind of just the disturbances going on to try to keep it from happening or, or we might've rambled. Tell us if you didn't like this one. Yeah. If you didn't like this one, that's okay. 
But in order for us to do a better job, you have to give us topics. You have to give us something to talk about. And so we really want you guys to uh, give us some things, give us some things to talk about because we are going to probably just walk in here and just ramble on about whatever's on our brains. Um, and that may not always be fruitful for you. So give us topics that are fruitful for you. Give us topics that your family or you are concerned with. Um, there may be things we stay clear from just because they can be uh, hotbeds for um, dissension and discussion. And so we want to try to stay clear from, from some of those things. Unless uh, you're willing to come on the podcast and do it in person yeah. and you're recorded too. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be able to voice yourself on that and, and be able to be on the air. Um, but we're, we're always open to any suggestions, any things you might have. So we're hoping to have some more interviews here coming up in the next uh, few weeks. So be looking for that too. Um, and we are just praying that you guys have a great, wonderful and awesome week. Don't forget, uh, we'll be giving you guys more information, hopefully in the next coming weeks about, uh, maybe a time where we can get together and actually enjoy coffee in person and you can, pick our brains about coffee and we can serve you up some good stuff that we can uh, just enjoy and have fun together in fellowship. So have a great week and we will see you next time. See you everybody. (laughs) 